Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Pretty Mental family, welcome back. We love you so much. We're so happy you're here. My name is Valentina Sinistera. I am a half of Pretty Mental. And I am Paula Sinistera. I'm the other half of Pretty Mental. And today we have an epic guest, Matt Shanker. Y'all, this was such an inspiring conversation. Matt just blew me away with the level of self-awareness and heart openness that he brought into this conversation really just unlocking and liberating pieces of myself. I feel through the level of authenticity that he brought in, I could just see my so many pieces of myself reflected in his story, pieces of people I love. And it's just such a powerful reminder that the more authentic that we can be and the more honest that we can show up and the more personal it becomes, the more universal it also becomes because we are all, going through so many more of the same things than we think that we are. This was such a beautiful conversation. He, Matt is just so brilliant. So his mind is brilliant. His heart is brilliant. So (laughs) many beautiful pieces. We love you, Matt. We love you, Matt. We really, really do. We really do. We will never stop gassing you up because it's just, it feels so good to come in contact with people who are so, ready and willing to be as, as open. Yeah. And committed, committed to alchemizing their pain and committed to alchemizing their pain, you know, into medicine for themselves, for the community. Like it's such a testament to as we heal and we alchemize our pain, we, we get to pass that on. It ripples out into the collective. Mm -hmm. And if you guys stay tuned till the very end, Matt takes us into his newest project, Pathly, which is a mental health startup, reimagining how we connect and provide healing and support at a community level virtually. So very cool. He is brilliant. I'm super excited to check it out myself and dive deeper into it. So you guys stay tuned for that. And we're going to definitely include all of the links in the show notes and everywhere where you can find him and tune into his projects. And if you are a new Pretty Mental listener, if you're coming over from Matt's camp, we're so happy that you're here. If you're an OG Pretty Mental listener, you guys get ready. This is such an epic conversation. We love all of you guys. Thank you for being here. And before we dive in, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. Before we dive into the podcast, I want to invite you guys to two amazing opportunities to come breathe with me around the full moon. So on Wednesday, July 13th, I'm going to be hosting a breathwork session 
on the rooftop of Soho House here in LA. We are going to be laying down on cozy, comfy cabanas. We are going to be under the moon and breathing in community. So this is going to be such an amazing, powerful, potent session of breathing and releasing. And the second opportunity is going to come on Thursday, July 14th. We are going to be breathing virtually. So come to both, come to one, wherever you are in the world, there's an opportunity to come breathe with our community and experience breath work if you've never done it before and to re-experience it again if you have done it before. And if y'all have done it before, you know, breathwork is powerful. So I invite you to come breathe with us. Everything is going to be in the show notes. Come to one, come to both, come breathe with me. All right, all right, that's it. Love you guys so much. Let's tune into the show. We open up this space, calling in our higher selves, calling in our angels, our ancestors calling in all of the energies that walk with us in this lifetime, all of the energies that are aligned with the highest vibration of love, the highest vibration of who we are. We root in, we open up our hearts, we open up our throats, we open up our minds, opening up ourselves as vessels for whatever wants to come through for the highest healing of ourselves, our community, everyone they come in contact with and for the highest healing of the planet. The portal is now open. Matt. <laughs> I'm like, do we give him a cue? <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I was in it. I was in it. <laughs> Honestly, it's because we do this so much now that I it's it's easier for me to come out. But when we first started doing this, I literally would like fall into straight meditation. <laughs> We're like, is this a podcast? And I'm like, wait, hold like, on. <laughs> beautiful. I'm soaking this in. <laughs> oh, amazing. No, I love that. Welcome to Pretty Mental. Welcome. So excited to have you. Honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Really just yeah. excited to just spend time with y'all and talk about wherever this takes us. Mm. So a little background for our Pretty Mental listeners. I met Matt when we're both part of this mental health startup community on Slack. And he posted a job opening for his company, Pathly, which we're definitely going to want to dive into that and um, and see what that is all about for our audience, because I know now. Um, and through our conversations about Pathly, I started getting to know Matt on a personal level and just hearing his journey, which was just so beautiful. And the entire time that you were talking, I could just feel like my heart was opening by the second. And that happening on a Zoom call, like I take note of that, you know, because we have calls all day and it's like another call. It's tiring. But as I was talking to you, I felt like we just completely opened up a portal and mm. it was so beautiful to me. And what was even more beautiful was the fact that, you know, I don't feel like I have a lot of these conversations with men. I feel like mm. it's typically with women that were like, you know, these are the, the things that I went through and and this is how I overcame them. And and this is, there's no shame in what I went through in, in the process. And, you know, and you were speaking from a place completely from the heart with no shame, going, getting extremely and beautifully vulnerable with me. And you had first met me. So like, there was so much power in that. Like I, I could really see that you, there was just this, this like 
I don't even know how to explain it, but this just like higher self of you that was speaking with you. And I was like, okay, we got to have you on the podcast. <laughs> All right. No pressure, everybody. I know. I'm excited to, to share in some <laughs> of this it. man must speak words <laughs> like gold. I met God, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, if you could, you could explain to us or explain if you could introduce yourself to our audience and give us a bit of background about who you are and how you came to where you are now on your mental, spiritual, emotional, energetic, physical health journey. That'd Absolutely. be amazing. Absolutely. Happy to. So I too, like, so enjoyed our call and, you know, it's one of the great joys and honors of my work is that I get to spend almost every day connecting with people to hear their story of often their deepest pain or their highest truth of who they see themselves as. And I have such respect and reverence for the courage it takes to do that and the trust that is required to be built in order for that to happen safely, that I'm like consistently telling my story also um, which is an interesting experience because I, I always like to think that I'm doing it from this place of really creating connection with the other person on the call. And it's really about what the, what the connection calls for. And yet also, I learn something almost every single time that I retell even my own story. So I say that at the beginning, just that I'm, I'm excited for us to unpack this uh, a little bit. So the place where my story uh, starts is. Um, with pain and privilege. So I, I have not always been a heart-centered person. Like many, many of us, I had to go through a lot of trials to get to that place and dark nights of the soul. And really in, in high school, I was known as the king of bullshitting. And uh, I, w I won the superlative at our high school for class clown. Um, I actually, even as far as elementary school, I still hold the record for most suspensions ever given to a kid at the elementary school I attended. Um, so I had a really tumultuous childhood, really from the very beginning. I had a problem with power systems. I had a real issue with authority figures. My, my mom worked at a preschool and on a weekly basis, she would have to take me home early because some teacher would show up at her door with me in hand and like red faced because I just couldn't help but challenge anything that didn't feel right within me. And so I was a really sensitive kid. I was a textbook middle child um, and we had moved. We moved when I was about 16, 18 months. And we had moved from being surrounded by my dad's entire family, my mom's entire family. We moved to a new city in Houston and our family was all in the Pacific Northwest. So I was born into a middle-class white family with two parents who loved each other. And I say that because before we even get into the pain that I felt and the trauma that created, it's important to highlight that that can happen within privilege. And there's a guilt that comes along with that, though also there's a immense awareness that I gain with that, that I want to highlight for all of us, which is what a deeper sense of heartbreak and appreciation I can get when folks experience pain who don't have that level of privilege. And so there I was, born with two parents who love each other, a mom who was born to an alcoholic mother and a fairly absent father who had to learn really early on how to hustle and do things well, how to do things perfectly. 
so that she could build a life that was different than her parents. And so she was stressed out constantly. Um, and so I would tear apart a classroom at like three or four years old. And then I remember the rage and disappointment that would cause in my mom. And so I learned pretty early on that when I did bad things, I was not lovable. And then I started to learn that the list of things that I do that are bad can grow and it can turn into almost everything. And so by the time I was like three or four years old, I actually escaped preschool. Like I, I convinced a, a best friend of mine to like run away from preschool. And like we, we walked across the street a mile to go to Walmart and came back with a toy. And I came back and I just remember seeing all the adults just totally angry and hysterical and frenzied, sort of like the same way that I see my mom get when we're running late for something. And I remember standing there thinking like, wow, I wonder what they're so concerned about. Because the thing that my dad always explains within that story is that I never felt lost when I was by myself. I felt lost when I was surrounded by people because like many people in this society who grew up with ADHD, I was a sensitive kid. And so I felt most disconnected and lost when I was actually surrounded by stimuli because it was so overwhelming. So eventually I felt chaos constantly. So since I felt chaos on the inside, I caused chaos on the outside. And so then through elementary school, I have visceral memories of tearing apart a classroom, hiding under a table in the back, and then screaming at anyone who would come and check on me, while at the same time, desperately hoping that they wouldn't go anywhere. And so I, I lived with this chaos I had no idea how to hold all throughout my childhood. And I blamed myself for it. Because one thing I've learned as a therapist and working with schools, the most dangerous thing we can do for kids is leave them alone in their pain without a story about what's going on. Because a kid's brain that young can't conceptualize all of the immense complexity involved with creating a painful situation. So what happens? They need a black or white explanation. It's something or somebody's fault. And it's not safe to blame the caregivers responsible for making my meals or giving me a place to sleep. So who do I blame? I blame myself. And then the shame locks away more of my internal experience, further perpetuating the sense of loneliness that I'm experiencing, creating more and more shackles around my internal world, where then I start to just feel totally like energized and anxious constantly. And I, I developed a superpower. I learned that I could hyper-focus. I could hyper-focus if I could make something exciting enough. And so I became a class clown by sitting back and I would hyper-focus on watching everybody and figure, trying to figure out how they would work. And none of it made any sense to me. But I quickly figured out ways that I could get people's attention and ways that I could get people scared of me. And so I developed this sort of persona that I thought that I needed. It was my only highway to connection. Now it was shallow connection. It satisfied hunger in the same way that a bag of Skittles might. You know, it wasn't deeply nutritious connection, but some attention. It was within my control and it could at least make me feel somewhat connected. And I could only get it as long as I was being this like class clown, Johnny Bravo type character. So then through my teenage years, suddenly these internal experiences really start getting in the way of the damn character I'm trying to play. I'm trying to be cool here. And there's like this vulnerable, disappointed, grief, frustrated feelings bubbling up within me. So what do I do? I start smoking, drinking 
taking anything I possibly can at 15 years old. Um, and I become addicted to basically everything. Um, I start chasing women, not really to like build any sort of genuine relationships with them, more so as like validation of this character I'm playing. Like, oh, look, you find that girl attractive. So do I. She's hot. So now I'm cool. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of that going on. And then I actually get into this like one relationship and like some of the mask starts kind of coming off for the first time. I actually feel like there's somebody who might actually care about the person that I am underneath the persona. Um, and then after a few months, it turns out like she was cheating on me. And then I double down, right? This is, this is my fault. I wasn't playing the persona well enough. I needed to be stronger. I needed to be cooler. And so then I really doubled down into getting addicted to everything I possibly could, sleeping with as many women as I possibly could. And everything became about that um, until eventually I was 19 years old. I was in a car accident with a buddy who was on his way to buy a bunch of painkillers. And as an apology and to help the bruise on my leg, gave me a ton of them. And then the next three months of my life, I totally blacked out. I have no idea really what happened. I, I've gotten some stories over the years from people, but where I found myself was standing over a bridge, looking over an interstate, thinking about jumping. And I could feel some part of me pulling me back. And I thought, well, shit, wait, if there's something in there that doesn't want to do this, then I probably shouldn't go. If I'm not 100% certain, I, I should probably step off the bridge for a minute. And I went back home and I looked at myself in the mirror. And for the first time, I decided I was going to commit to no longer running from myself. I wasn't going to run from my internal world anymore. Little did I know I was walking through the gates of hell. That then the next few months, I only slept for about 15 minutes at a time. I would wake up in a sheer panic attack, sweating, heart racing, run out of the room, only to discover that the monsters weren't under the bed, they were within me. And then I would have to find a way to cope and bring myself back down and try to get some sleep. Sleeping for a total of maybe 30, 45 minutes a night. And sleep deprivation is one hell of a thing. Anybody that's experienced knows. I will, I will take any hangover from any substance any day over sleep deprivation. Um, and so I, I thought I had broken myself. I thought that I was, I was broken. And so a lot of shame, I started, I started calling and reaching out to everybody I possibly could. My uncle was a neurologist. So I called him and asked for as many contacts as I possibly could and asked him every question I possibly could. I was majoring in philosophy, mostly because on the first day, they told me that you weren't going to be tested with grades. You're going to be tested on how well you could argue. And I learned pretty early on that as a guy, I can express my emotions by arguing and not lose any masculinity points. And so I got really good at it. Um, so I was like, oh, arguing, I'm good at that, love this. So I started reading every single philosophy book I possibly could. I went into every single philosophy professor's office without really asking and wanted them to tell me, like, how do you fix this? What is wrong with me? What am I not understanding? I thought that it was a physical problem that I could fix by gaining enough knowledge that then it would all get better. So I got really focused in particular about my nutrition and about my fitness and then anytime that I wasn't working out or on the phone with a neuroscientist or psychologist or behavioral psychologist or psychiatrist or doctor, then I was scrolling 
I had like an iPhone one and I would wait for the internet to load and I would scroll like, what does this mean about my body? I felt this. And I would read everything about all these neurotransmitters. I needed to fix this stuff. I had to figure it out. And then finally I opened up to, okay, maybe I'll, I'll go to a therapist. So I go to this therapist, an older guy. Now that now I know he really was like a, a, a psychoanalytic uh, type psychologist. And he listened to what I was saying and he immediately referred me to a psychiatrist. And I went to the psychiatrist, I told him everything I was experiencing. And he said, okay, it sounds like we need to get you some Xanax and we need to get you some Trazodone. Um, and I looked at him and I said, look, I, I respect that. And I, that might be right for some people, but I, I know it sounds crazy. I'm miserable and I'm uncomfortable, but I don't want to put any other chemicals in my body. I want to figure out what my life is. And he, he looked at me and he said, maybe that's not possible. Uh, and that's really all I needed to hear. Because you can imagine from my childhood, you have an authority figure tell me something's not possible, and that's going to put enough wind in my sails to say, fuck you, I'm going to see for myself, um, which is what I did. So from then on, I decided, okay, therapists couldn't possibly help me. And so I, I read every book that I possibly could, and I traveled around constantly just to any expert that I could. And I left school, and I moved back in with my parents. And at this point... All I really was doing with my life was reading, listening to audiobooks, scanning through the internet, going and attending lectures, places like needing to consume information. And again, I never really felt connected to my embodied experience. So that's why in high school, people could call me the king of bullshitting because I didn't know the difference between truth and bullshit because I was never connected to my embodied experience. So they felt the same to me. So I might as well craft a story that ends up creating a cool persona. And so here I was now really digging down, asking like, what, what is truth? What, what matters here? And meanwhile, I can tell like my parents, they really want to love me. They really are trying their best. They want, they want me to feel loved. Um, I didn't, I, I had a really dysregulating difficult childhood and difficult trauma with my mom. And then throughout my childhood, I suffered through some sexual trauma that was really then difficult for my parents and I to figure out how to, how to navigate through it with somebody that was close to the family. And so there was all kinds of tension and trauma that built up. And yet within that, I could see that they wanted to love me. And so one day, finally, after all of my hustling and trying to fix myself, I realized I'm not going to kill myself. I realized I, I couldn't possibly imagine strapping my mom with the grief. How, I couldn't imagine strapping somebody who wanted to love me so much, even if they weren't good at it. I couldn't imagine that, then strapping her with the grief of me dying. And so then I was forced to ask myself, okay, if I'm not going to kill myself, what am I going to do with my life? I'm wildly uncomfortable. As a teenager, my number one value had been cool. And then these past year or so, my number one value became comfort. I was seeking comfort, but the more I hunted for it, the less I found it. So now I was sitting there asking myself, well, what if I'm never comfortable again? If I'm never comfortable again, what is still worth doing with my life? And I thought of my childhood. I thought of that six-year-old boy hiding under a table in his classroom and just consistently getting kicked out of school over and over again. The teacher screaming at anyone who would come and check on him too, saying, leave him alone. We won't talk to him until he wants to be a good boy. And I thought, I wonder, I wonder if it's possible for us to fix this education system, 
so that kids who showed up hurt or didn't have the skills could at least felt, feel like they belonged and they could build the skills. So ultimately I decided I was gonna fix the education system. See, that was the whole problem with the system. They just didn't have me working on it. <laughs> I figured I was pretty good at arguing and philosophy. And so if I could just commit my life to digging into that problem and fix that, then I could at least maybe feel okay enough with myself that I could go to sleep. See, what I was starting to discover was that the reason why I was so anxious and why I was running, trying to fix and figure out everything was because I was trying to outrun the shame and scarcity that was wrapped around all of the unprocessed emotion. So I was trying to fix it and eliminate it. And so then I gained new purpose. Instead of comfort or cool, my number one purpose became knowledge. I spent 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. every single day consuming information, but I was no longer looking for ways to fix myself. So I, I took that anxiety, all that energy of the unprocessed emotion, which created the anxiety, and I directed it. And so the purpose allowed me to then build a life that mattered to me. I transferred schools, I moved cities, and I was able to focus on something else. And through that, something really beautiful happened, which is I started to find comfort because I stopped treating myself like a problem thanks to the purpose that I had. And then I discovered as I really sat with all of these problems and these questions, you know, I, I took a, an educational tour in Finland. I worked for the Virginia State Senate. I got a double major in philosophy and elementary education, a minor in psychology. And I, I really dug deeply. The, the realization I came to was that the biggest challenge we have in our education system is around social emotional learning. And I didn't know anything about social emotional learning. I knew a lot about neurobiology and psychology and philosophy and history of pedagogy, sociology, neuroanthropology, but I didn't know really social emotional learning how to teach it. So I went and I got my master's in counseling. And there I learned about the research around mindfulness and I got exposed to Brene Brown. So now I'm diving deep into Brene Brown. I'm working through different relationships and friendships in my life because of the research. I'm now going all over the country and getting trained in meditation and acceptance commitment therapy, acceptance commitment training. And the thing about going to those events is they don't just give you content for you to consume. You actually have to engage in some practices. And so then finally, I became a counselor. I was deeply trained. I had begun processing and I was working with a therapist. I had this incredible support group of people called Spiritual Paths. We would meet once every, every month and really process things. And I had read and consumed everything Brene Brown and John Kabat-Zinn had ever put out. And so I was, I was doing a lot of self-work. And I went to this silent meditation retreat. And this was about four months into me being an elementary school counselor after grad school. And I'm sitting at this retreat and on the way up there, I thought I was driving up and I was going to come back and I was going to be enlightened. Like I was going to figure shit out. It was going to be good. And the first day it was really relaxing. You know, I was surrounded by trees and mountains and disconnected from all my to-do lists. Then the second day I'm sitting there in the meditation hall and I'm, I'm noticing, you know, the first foundation mindfulness, the body, the second, the mind, and the third foundation of mindfulness is the, the Vedana of the experience. And so I'm noting it like, okay, oh, there I go. Planning, planning. Oh, that's unpleasant. Unpleasant. Oh, I'm having a lot of unpleasant experiences. Oh, judgment, judgment, oh, scarcity, fear, fear, anxiety. 
Why am I feeling so anxious? Judgment, shame. Oh my gosh, I've broken myself. And now suddenly I'm connecting with all these emotions that I had distracted myself for years with. I had distracted myself by hunting down all the answers that would help me fix the world out there so I wouldn't have to see any more bad things or feel any more bad things in here. And what I realized now was as I got really still in an extended retreat and there was nothing for me to create a to-do list for, that there was no way for me to outrun my scarcity with busyness. And underneath, when I actually brought my attention to myself, were still all of these unprocessed experiences that I had started to process a little bit here, a little bit there. And finally, I was sitting with them all. And I hadn't felt them since really I started going through withdrawal. And so some of that same energy started to come up. Oh my gosh, I should, I need to fix this. I need to get up. I need to do something. I've broken myself. I'm going to feel like this forever. So I opened my eyes. I see everyone else sitting calmly and serenely. Shame washes over me. <laughs> and then I stand up. Okay, I need to get out of here. I go for a walk. And I find this bridge. I find this bridge. And... I eventually sit down on this bridge that is going over this river and I decide, I tell myself, you know, I, I might have broken myself, but I've been telling myself for years, I was done running from myself. So I, I don't know, I might be broken. This might be what I feel like now. And yet there's more I want to accomplish in my life. So I'm going to sit down until I feel like I can get up. And for the next few hours, I wept. I screamed, I got in the fetal position, I threw up, I sweated through my clothes. And after a few hours, I was okay. And I got up and I walked back to my room. And in this shared mini library, there was a book by a guy named Mark Nepo. And I took that book out. And there was a line in that book that said, I wish you the courage to ask of everything you meet. What bridge are we? And from that point forward, really is where I started living, embodied within my life, able to experience who I am. Mm. Oh my gosh. Wow. I know. Y'all see what I'm talking about? I just went, I feel like I just went through a whole journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw pieces of myself in your story. I saw pieces of people I love in your story. Um, yeah, I'm feeling all kinds of emotions, um, unlocked right now talking to you. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, so many, so many parts of your story stuck out to me and there's, well, before I, I forget, I want you, you know, I'd love to see what, what that quote means to you. Could you dive a little deeper into that quote? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything for me. So for, for so much of my life, it, I was focused on being cool, right? Since I was like three or four years old, since I started to create a little identity, I was focused on being cool. And then everything became about comfort. And then everything became about being the knower. I had to know things. The problem with being the knower is it's really hard to connect with people because you got no space for anyone else's story about reality. And you're constantly hunting to find facts rather than to see things truly. And so 
the more I got connected with my embodied experience, the more I realized that it wasn't necessarily knowledge that I needed. It was courage because ultimately I needed to be able to be vulnerable enough to show up fully so that I could see things clearly to really get to any wisdom. And so it wasn't so much about needing to be the knower as much as needing to show up with my full heart. And for me, that meant instead of needing to know things, consistently reminding myself to be curious about things, to walk through curiosity as my doorway to heart, showing up with my full heart, being connected to the greater heart of the universe. And so that line, I mean, I've, I have bridges tattooed like all over my, all over my arm, my podcast that I host is called bridges between us. Um, that, that line is really how I, how I want to show up in the world. I want to treat every single thing I interact with, understanding that it's some expression of this universe that I can choose to connect with and expand my experience of the universe. If only I can choose to lean into the courage to ask, what bridge are we? Mm. Ah, I could yell. I did. <laughs> I did. That's amazing. I love that so much. I love that so much. And I relate to the, the part of you saying that, you know, you were the seeking comfort part and then the, the finding knowledge part, because within myself, like I dealt with insomnia, I dealt with, you know, so I know, I know the sleep deprivation. You're like, I literally will take anything. And because it's you, you're, you're, I would always describe it as I was like a few layers removed from earth. So a true zombie with an inability to be empathetic, you were just, it's like you were numb, numbed. Um, and when you're experiencing yeah. something that painful, your obsession and anyone, you know, who's dealt with any kind of anything, you know, that's just like plaguing you, whether it's physical or emotional or mental pain, you do become like, you're like, I need to know everything about this because I've got to figure out how to heal this. And then I too, like you found myself in a spot that was like, and now am I just pathologizing my entire experience? And now am I just like seeing myself as something to be fixed? Like what would happen if I stopped trying to fix myself? Like what kind of freedom could come out of that, of just letting myself be someone who's holding this pain, but without needing to solve it, just, just being with it. And then I also like you, I mean, and I don't know if this is putting words in your mouth, but I also experienced like once I just accepted that and stopped trying to fix myself, then it, you know, there was some ease in that. But that's so hard because a part of you is also like, I do, I'm tired of this pain, but at the same time, I need to stop fixing myself. So where, which one, how do you even balance that? And the thing I want to name in what you're saying is it's not accidental that so many of us feel this way, that when we are raised in systems that intentionally teach children to abandon their internal experience in favor of performing and producing according to how the person with the most power in the room wants them to. It is no surprise or coincidence that we grow up to be adults who feel like we have to treat everything we're experiencing as a problem that's in the way of our performing. And so understanding that we're not broken and our children aren't broken, it's our systems that are broken. And the thing that's broken about it is our, especially our narratives around how we're supposed to relate. We over rely on this most amazing technology that humans have language and we try to over language everything and problem solve and plan and storytell and really 
sometimes we just have to get underneath it all. And it's not a matter of liking the experience. It's a matter of choosing not to run from it and play hide and seek with ourselves. It's choosing to understand that if right now we ask all of your listeners to list, to think about anything that they want to, just not to think about a pink elephant, to think about anything in the world, the whole multidimensional universe of things they could think about, just not a pink elephant. Please don't think about a pink elephant smiling or laughing. And what happens is we're all going to fucking think about it. Because saying don't think about it just makes you think about it. So it's not a matter of liking the pain. In fact, because we want it to heal, the fastest way to do that is to turn toward it. Otherwise, it's just like that pink elephant. You're just going to keep reminding yourself of it. And it's just going to stay stuck. That by choosing to pathologize, what we actually end up doing is like wrapping these shackles around experiences and keeping ourselves imprisoned within them. And so because something hurts, we should be turning toward it and we should be asking, what does this need? Completely agree. And also if we believe that we're broken and we, we allow the systems to infiltrate the, us with that belief system, it's very easy to get stuck there. Oh yeah. Like, that's a huge one um, that I grapple with as a mental health professional in a Western model, as my career develops, I find myself bringing in more and more wisdom and knowledge from different lineages um, because the Western model is rooted in pathology. So, yeah, I mean, really Western medicine is rooted in this narrative around to fix your internal world. What you need to do is talk and talk and talk and talk about it or drink <clears throat> that, that those were the original medicines within Western medicine for centuries. And what did drinking then turn into? Like, okay, fine. Now, instead of just alcohol, it's also pharmaceutical drugs. But now, finally, in these recent decades, we're now finally starting to understand like, okay, there's a place for these chemicals that numb certain aspects of our internal experience. Sure, there's a place for them. And there's an important place for talking about experiences and talking through story of experiences. And there's a huge piece of the puzzle that we had been missing which is actually relating to our embodied experience on a direct level. And so just shifting those systems, the thing I want to name is these are deeply entrenched systems built upon like this multi-generational ignorance around what humans need. And from my experience and everything I've seen and read, most of the time, before a system can transform, our stories have to transform so that we have a little bit of hope to guide us. And so that's where I would celebrate y'all having this podcast. Like a podcast is no small thing. Something like this, that is a showcase for stories of truth that give us hope for what a better, more beautiful world could be is actually what helps us move toward transforming and building those better systems. So I just want to name that and thank you all for that. Thank you. Thank you. And it makes it easy to have these when there's people like you who are just so open hearted and so eloquent. And so it just I admire so much how you're how you are able to speak about your experience. Yeah. The self-reflection that that's taken. Oh, it's it's wild. I'm like it, it as you're speaking, I'm like, oh, he came here to alchemize. 
Like he came here <laughs> to feel and to alchemize and to not be yes, to feel the pain, but not to, to, to suffer forever. Like I see like two people when you, you're speaking, the, the human who came to feel the suffering and then the, you know, we can call it the higher self, the, the <laughs> spirit who is like, you know, I'm guiding it. you the entire time. Come on, come on. Let's keep going. We're alchemizing it as we go. Mm. A teacher, you're a teacher. Thank you. It's a real, it's a real, it's a real gift. And I appreciate you saying that it's a real gift, gift to hear that. And what I would name is like, it's a strange thing. Like it's, I would say like a lot of what I do today and who I am in the world is really just still that five-year-old boy that still feels frustrated with the system and is trying to figure it out. It's really just trying to figure out why doesn't he fit in with this classroom? Why was this classroom set up this way? And how do I change it so that I don't have to feel that way and no one else does? And so anything that I'm able to do in a lot of ways is just rooted in like that five-year-old boy trying to figure out what the hell is happening and trying to shift those systems, just still being kind of at war with that. And that I, I so appreciate you naming the like the feeling and the, and the doing um, because I, I think that Truly, that's who I hope to be. Um, every single morning, I say this prayer that ends with, uh, may I journey through the day with the curious eyes of a child and the courageous heart of a warrior. Mm. So like mm. the curiosity of like being here and then the, the courage to open and create what must become. Because it's like, I think that's who all of us are. Like always both being and becoming. Yeah. That warrior, that warrior archetype has been coming up strong in these past few days. That's wild that you just mentioned that. I want to dive into the embodiment practice that you said, like, that's when you really started turning a corner. Were there specific practices that you did? How did, what did that look like? Yeah, for me, it was mindfulness meditation. So I, you know, my older brother is a recreational bodybuilder. And so I've, I've always exercised you know, I've always been working out, but mostly it was like to look a certain way. Um, and so I, I worked out almost every single day. So the, the reason that's relevant is because what I started to do was really develop my mindfulness meditation practice. And I would sit for extended periods of time and I learned how to relate to every single aspect of my experience somehow to bring a sense of compassion to anything that would arise within me. And then that empowered me with this ability to bring that same sort of awareness to almost anything that I did. So when I would be exercising and like certain emotions would be triggered because I'm moving, I'm like, oh, I can like notice that. And now I can relate with it instead of just pushing it down. Though, honestly, <laughs> I'm laughing now at this like pivot that we're going to have, but I'm excited about it, uh, where uh, things really started to shift for me was when I went to my first music festival, some friends really dragged me along. And I want to preface that, like, I had been reading deeply about philosophy and meditation and psychology and therapy and counseling for many years and doing a lot of inner work. And then I went to this music festival and I had some really transcendent experiences with MDMA and with LSD. And 
it really was beautiful, right? So it was, it was like I had done all this work to build this level of awareness and to build these skills for relating with my experience. And I was doing a lot of processing thanks to a lot of teachers and a lot of different groups and resources. And I had been building some really beautiful relationships, honestly, largely because of the work of Brene Brown and what she was able to empower me with through all of her wisdom and what that gave me and how to understand how people actually connect and how intimacy can work. And so because of that, suddenly it's like I had this unlock where I finally had the skills and I had the connection to other relationships that meant that I finally had the capacity to hold certain things. So I went to this first music festival, thanks to psychedelics, I had these really transcendent experiences where a lot of things got unlocked. And then I was forced to like, wow, look at that and then integrate it. And then over the next few months after that, wow, I got to integrate a lot. So then I started using plant medicines a lot more intentionally to kind of really deepen my practices. And then that became a whole road to go down. Yeah, we love plant medicine. <laughs> it's all welcome here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the multidimensionality of the the human experience for sure. Yeah. I think oh, we yeah. need a, we need every part of it. We need the processing. We need the talking. We need the embodiment. If you feel called to the plant medicines, they have a lot to teach us, have a lot to teach us and integrating it always and just finding balance between all of these different modalities and tools, I think it's, it's an ever shifting landscape. We're not just going to rely on one approach or one modality to, to feel at home here on this planet. Uh Oh, so where you are at in your journey right now, how, how do you balance the, the feeling with the knowledge with, cause I mean, you're a highly <clears throat> intellectual person, you know? So that's a big part of who you are too. Yeah. And, you know, someone as sensitive and as open to the world as you are, you're going to, the suffering is still going to come or maybe not even suffering, but the pain, you know, how yeah. do you, how do you balance all of this? How do you walk your life now? by fucking up a lot and then figuring out how to get back on what feels like truth. Um, I would say, so picking up, let's see, after like the music festival experience, once I started using psychedelics more, I then went and I, I was connected to more of my embodied experience than I ever had. And I had skills for holding it, but not necessarily knowing how to integrate that into my identity. You know, I knew how to be the knower, and like the person to get things done. I didn't know how to be like the, the feeler, which really is like one of these superpowers that I've had. Like, again, most people with ADHD being growing up and being super sensitive. So then I went on and I was an elementary school counselor while also being a private practice therapist and launching my own business where I would go to different organizations and help them transform their organizational culture. And the reason for that is because when I came back from that meditation retreat, I walked into a first grade classroom and there was a teacher holding up a six-year-old boy's hand saying, class, turn around. Everybody look at this bad boy. Look at this bad boy. What happens when boys are bad in this class? And the whole class goes, they clip down and this boy is weeping. Now I'm super tender. Like I'm super 
tender and like raw. Like I've, I'm like almost weeping. So I went over to this woman's hand and like gently removed it and like asked her to take the class early to lunch. And I sat with him, we co-regulated, processed and then repaired some things with that teacher. But the question that I was left with was, what does this teacher not know? Because she's not in this job because she's evil. Like she gets here at 5.30 in the morning and stays till 5.30 at night and has been doing this for 10 years. It's not because she doesn't care about any of these people. There's something that she doesn't know. There's something that the system hasn't taught her. And what is that? And so then I went through this experience where, again, diving deep into the research to figure out what to do. Now, I say all of that to then say, I started to really take like fall back into this like fixer archetype right like it's sort of this like meta pattern that then happens in my life where it's like huge like leaning into the feminine and like really feeling and feeling and feeling and then getting directly into action and then like focusing on action and doing and building um so then i built an entire business i transformed our school's culture and created systems for that and built a whole business for that and then i got into this just amazing relationship where i really felt deeply loved by a partner for the first time in my life. And there was amazing processing that came up in there, but also like a lot of difficulty and challenge. While I was then in a pandemic, working a hundred hours a week, trying to like be this like rescuer for people, where then I had to like catch myself and like pull myself back, like returning back to me. So I would say that like where I am now, it's this real difficulty, like this tightrope that I walk on, like a part of me, feels really drawn to just like going to like a meditation monastery somewhere and just like be in there for 10 20 years and like saying world like love you you're beautiful I'm gonna chill here and like I'm gonna dive deep into meditating and reading and like my sangha here in like nature and a part of me really like feels drawn to that and another part of me feels like through all of the pain I've been through and everything that I now know I actually have a super clear vision about how we transform a lot of these systems. And no matter how much I, I struggle to accept it about myself, I have an ability to explain some of these things and to empower other people with tools for transforming these processes and systems that gives me this sense of responsibility. But even that is like this really tricky, like tightrope. Like it's not so much that I feel like it's my responsibility to fix anything for anybody else. It's that I can feel within me this deep knowing that I'm supposed to be building something. And I can feel that what I'm building is what's right, what's true for me right now. And yet I'm not ruling out that maybe a year from now, what's true for me is that I'm supposed to go to a monastery and that's where I'm supposed to be. So it's like this there's this kind of swirl that is constantly happening within me where like, I really am sort of drawn to put up a lot of boundaries and really just allow myself to deeply feel. And there's this other extreme that wants to pull me to just focus on doing and building. And it's a matter of really consistently honoring my own practice to really see all of that, to be with all of that and to use all of that is data and information about who I am and what I'm experiencing on a daily basis to be able to show up truly as who I am. I feel you. So uh, relatable. Uh, right? oh, no. <laughs> you know what, y'all? Let's back up. Let's go. Let's go. Right? 
Honestly, I'm getting like master number life path energy from you. You got to be like an 11, 22, 33 or 44. You got to be. What are you? I have no idea. No. All right. We're going to have to look it up and because I got to, I got to know. Yeah. Bodhisattva vibe. I I need to come here more often and just hang out with (laughs) y'all. We feel you though. That's a, that's very much a journey that Valentina and I live on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you are just, you know, I think as sensitive as we all are and as deep feelers as we all are and as curious minds, you know, it's like when you feel this deeply and you have such a curious mind and you, and you know, cause I can, you know, me and Paula, there's definitely been times for us as well. where We're like, I just want to dip out, but we're like, no, there's too much here. There's something like that. We there's, there's some things pulling us back, yeah. you know? And it's like it's this, this world is quite a ride. It's quite a ride. And, yeah. And quite lately I've, I find myself more and more just being like, man, just like go dance. Yeah. <laughs> just go yeah. hang out with some people. Yeah. Just put your feet on the sand and go crack some jokes with your friends and tap into that. Cause that's what we're doing it for. Right. That's the whole reason we're doing it. And it can be so easy to get caught up in feeling like the only things that make an impact are like the, the specific like work that we do that we can see is really targeted. Mm. Like, Oh, only when I'm meeting one-on-one with these clients or only when I'm like, writing or creating this meditation, something that is going to have direct service for somebody. And yet we can't forget like the interdependent, interconnected nature of who we are. And that actually choosing to like sit and meditate on the beach is being of service, that I am being of service to the energy within myself and within all of the energy around me, that in order for me to really honor life it's not a matter of me just crushing and going and pushing. It's a matter of me just being really honest with myself. What am I experiencing? What do I need right now? And if that's creating, if that's connecting, if that's being of service, great. And if that's dancing, if that's turning off my phone and driving and going somewhere for like four weeks, great. But whatever it is, just being really honest with ourselves and allowing ourselves to be who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wild journey. Wild, wild journey, journey. <laughs> and I and in a journey of just constantly reminding yourself to bring back like the most simple things, the most simple things, because we can dive so deep that it's like, where did we go? Come back, come back, <laughs> you know, right. be a child again, be a child again. Um, and I want to make sure that we have enough time to we're reaching the the end, but I want to talk about your your current mission and purpose on Earth with Pathly, and anything you want to share with us. So when I I started my business, it was called the Mindfulness Counselor, and I was working with organizations to help them transform because everything that I had learned in my decade of diving deep into the science of how do humans work and how do we work independently and as groups, what I learned was you can't transform the culture of a classroom and its systems without transforming the culture and the systems that a teacher exists within because they feel unsupported. And in 2017, there was a Gallup study done that asked about the most stressed out occupational groups in the world. And other than nurses, public school teachers were number one. They were tied. And so we had to transform these systems. So I thought, how do we transform these systems? Well, 
when we understand everything that's been learned about psychology and neurobiology over the past two decades, we understand that our deepest psychological and neurobiological drive is to connect. So we need to create spaces that actually understand a little bit about nervous systems and what they need in order to feel connection. And what that is, is trust. We need to understand the anatomy and the science of trust and how it's created with any sort of organizational context. So creating a relationship-centered change process that is also mindfulness-based, that is structured in a way that allows people to show up through the vulnerability of their entire experience, because that's what's called for in order to actually innovate. That's what's called for in act to actually transform and change and sustain high performance. And it has to be values-driven, that our values are written by the combination of our biology, our lived experiences, and the biography we write about those experiences. And we need to connect with what those values are. Otherwise, we can build the big, bright, shiny life according to what matters to everybody else, and we will never feel fulfilled because our values are our internal blueprint leading us to that fulfillment. So we need to build spaces that empower people to connect, show up with as their whole selves, and do things that matter to them well. And so I got connected with Pathly, our two co-founders, Sahil and Matthew. Both of them had been really successful through their 20s, and they didn't feel fulfilled. They were disconnected from their values. And so Sahil went on and got his master's in psychology. Matthew started getting into coaching and they both started interviewing people in their twenties and thirties and asking what big challenges are you facing? And what, what people said, what was really in the way of them succeeding was they felt like they didn't have clarity about like what mattered to them, what their purpose was, who they wanted to be, where they wanted to go, or they felt like they didn't have structure around how they could accomplish their goals. And where in the world their emotions fit into all of that. Or they felt like they didn't have support. We're the loneliest human beings that the planet has ever seen. We know that loneliness is the greatest public health predictor of early mortality that we have. And we know that the greatest predictor of resilience after trauma is having trusted connection with at least one person. So relationship-centered support, mindfulness-based structure, gaining clarity about our values so that we can be values-driven. We started working together and we realized we're doing a lot of the same sort of stuff and building towards the same thing. So we've reimagined one-on-one -on -one support that there's a therapist and there's a coach and therapy is really helpful for some people sometimes. Though Paula, like you said, it, there can be such limitations within this Western model that it can feel like even with our best intentions, somebody can feel like they're being judged that there's this power over dynamic sometimes. And therapists often aren't encouraged to show up as their whole selves, to be authentic, which then limits the depth of trust that can be built. And as far as coaching goes, there are some amazing, incredible transformative coaches in the world. And coaching is this huge umbrella term, which doesn't always necessarily have a lot of training and oversight. So it can be difficult to figure out if I want to get a coach, where do I look um, and how do I afford them um, and who's actually credible. And when I'm looking for a therapist, like, where do I look? Who's going to help me? Um, and is it going to be somebody I'm going to connect with? And so we're revolutionizing life coaching to make it more accessible to the modern millennial. We call it, we call our coaches reflectors that they show up, they're encouraged to show up as their authentic self. And really they're there to support members in a weekly, bi-weekly or monthly video call. And then consistently through voice or text messaging all throughout the week too. So what is it that you want to focus on this week? What are you experiencing right now in your life? to be able to make one-on-one -on -one support more accessible for people. And what we're doing is creating a community that can work to model a blueprint 
of what a modern business can look like, what a modern community can look like that's actually rooted in building from a place of trust and respect and prioritizes autonomy and power. And so we're just trying to find as many people as we possibly can that need a service like this who want to be members. And we're trying to find as many reflectors as we can who are vision and values aligned, who may be coaches or therapists, or they may just have the emotional intelligence skills and emotional capacity and want to support people. And we'll take them through and we'll train them to really just give people the resources that they need in this modern world so that we can actually build the more beautiful world that we all deserve. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I mean, my God. <laughs> so we'll put all of that in, you know, the, the Pathly website in the show notes. And if people want to dive into your work, if dive into you, dive into Pathly, what are all the ways that we can, that, you know, everyone can have access to you and dive into your world and your yeah, podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Give it all. Please. Yeah. So if, if you listened to that description of Pathly and you're like, wow, like, I think I might want to try that as a member, we would love to have you. You can apply on the website, which is www.findpathly.com, or you can email us at hello at findpathly.com. If you want to be a reflector, maybe you're a therapist or a coach and you're thinking, I feel like I'm like a ship out here to sail off alone and helping people navigate their deepest, darkest waters, but no one's here to help keep the wind in my sails. If you want to be connected to a community and maybe support a couple members as a reflector, you can apply to become a reflector online and I'll get to meet you, which would be so great. Uh, and if you are just curious to learn more about some of the science that grounds all that we do and that I love to learn about, you can tune into our podcast where I explore with modern experts and teachers and healers, uh, the science that we all need and the stories that can give us hope. The podcast is called Bridges Between Us, which we know where that name now comes from. I love that. Thank you so much. We're going to add all of that to the show notes. You're amazing. And before we, we say goodbye, I just, I gotta, I gotta do this. Gotta guess oh, your Zodiac yeah. sign. I don't know. Oh. Yeah. I always so, forget that we do this and then get re-excited all over. I again. know. I know <laughs> we, we try to do this with as many of our guests as possible. Um, okay. There's a lot okay. that came through for me on this one. I got, um, if you're not a Gemini, then your Mercury is might be in Gemini. That's what I think. Oh, I don't, 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 don't approve yet. Don't huh? approve. Okay. Don't <laughs> approve. Okay. Um, but I feel like, um, Pisces is somewhere in your chart too. <laughs> Can I guess now? Yeah. If you have more, maybe like Taurus <laughs> somewhere in there too. Some like grounding or yeah. Okay. Paula, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just... The first thing that came up for me was Aquarius. Mm. Oh, okay. All right. What are you? That's my guess. All right. So I'm a Capricorn moon. Okay. I'm a Capricorn moon. I'm an Aries sun. Oh! And I'm a cancer rising. Stop. <gasps> Stop. I, sh while you were talking somewhere in there, I was like, is he is my she chart? Did I, to you so much? I swear to God, I was like, are you a, I'm an Aries sun cancer rising, but I'm a Scorpio hey. moon. That means we're serving similar missions out here. That's why I'm we like, didn't know that already. I'm telling you, no, 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 no. Listen, 
I don't, you don't have to share it on here if you don't want to, but I'm going to email you and find out your birthday so I can calculate your life path <laughs> because I'm a 33 life path and just so much of what you are saying and like what 33s are and their mission and everything. I'm like, holy shit. Hell it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you I so much for being on here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for being here. I'll be excited to continue to tune in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely going to tune into you and I hope that we can all stay connected and continue growing the community of people that are on this kind of mission here. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh -oh.